Theodore is a magician. I ain't talking about David Copperfield magic. I ain't even talking about Joe Bluth magic. I'm talking about musical magic. And hey, I didn't say it. Theodore did. That's magic. The independent composer, songwriter, beautiful piano playing musician meets me at a mall in Chevy Chase, Maryland to talk about that magic. Inside the mall is a hotel. Inside the hotel is a bar. Are you getting all this? Yes. Theodore shows up and immediately apologizes for forgetting to bring a vinyl copy of his latest album, Inner Dynamics. Free vinyl? Maybe Theodore is a magician. <laughs> Theodore's from Greece, so he certainly didn't walk here. He drove up from South by Southwest, showcasing and swag bagging and barbecuing and American elbow rubbing his way through Austin before heading up north for a few dates in the Northeast. Here in DC on a Saturday night, he's playing a private show. We stand at the bar, waiting for some delicious Stella Artois, and he invites me to this show. I say out loud that I might come, while knowing inwardly that I will not. I'm middle-aged and far from spontaneous. There's college basketball, a girlfriend, and my loyal Westie waiting at home. It's taco night, and Theodore isn't going on for about four hours. There's no chance. But that's okay, because I'm here for the education. We sit at a high boy table at Willie's Bar, and the passion starts pouring out of this bearded wizard. And I realize once again that this is a guy whose level of commitment to his craft is far greater than my own, and I feel inspired and ashamed all at the same time. What does it take to get noticed? For Theodore, it seems like it's taken his whole life, or at least two decades of it, and it's finally all coming together. He's scoring movies now. He just played NPR's Tiny Desk concert. Side note, I got my free vinyl after Theodore finished his set. That's magic. He's on the rise, and deservedly so. He wants it. He's all in. And his music is cinematic, rousing, and certainly dynamic, inspired by and compared to some of my inspirations, bands like Pink Floyd and Radiohead. So naturally, I wanted to talk to Theodore for episode 94 of the Independent Minded Podcast. And after our long chat, Theodore shakes my hand and rushes off to soundcheck. I get in my Mini Cooper and rush off to tacos. Yes. Theodore and I talk about getting lost, taking risks, being Greek, Buster Keaton, The Doors, and having multiple orgasms. Yes. 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 Musical ones. Kicking things off with disorientation from Theodore's latest album, then some orientation with Theodore, right here on Independent Minded. It's Ronnie Dalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Dalzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make art and music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the cool shit that they do.
type of music is this? Is this like house music behind us? Uh, I have no idea. Do you know what house music is? Did they have house uh, yeah, music and, in and, Greece? Uh, yeah, for sure. But this is uh, n- not really house music, though. Not house music? What would you qualify it as? Not good, I would... That, that yeah, would. <laughs> yeah, like uh, this kind of music that you would listen in a hotel lobby, hotel bar. Bro. We're not even in a lobby. That's the thing. We're like up... I had a hard time finding it. You know, management asked me... I kind of anticipated because you're playing a so far sound show tonight yeah. that I wouldn't be able to come meet you at the venue because they it's a private event and they have to set up the room and it's usually a non-traditional performance space. Up here in Northern Maryland, it's not exactly a mecca yeah. of nightlife and okay. social activity. I found this place on Google. It's called Willie's Bar. <laughs> and Theodore was kind enough to meet me. Now, you came from down south and you're making your way up north. I know you're going back to my homeland. Yeah. On the 26th, we play New York. Okay, you were playing one of my favorite venues in New York City, the Mercury Lounge. One of the few venues from when I was growing up in New York that still exists. All oh, right. And is not a condo or, okay. a, or a Dwayne Reed. So I discovered you through my day job at NPR. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of the All Songs Considered podcast. Me too. I found over listening to that podcast fairly religiously over the past six to eight months that uh, Mr. Bob Boylan and I have very similar tastes especially when it comes to atmospheric, cinematic music that not coincidentally hails from outside of the United States of America. Right. Now, you are my first Greek interview. It's not your first time playing in America, obviously. It's the second one. Okay. Second time. I I went back and I dug through your tour dates dating all the way back to what I assume was around your start Mm -hmm. as a solo artist, maybe 2012. Does that sound about right? I I started at 2012, yes. And you've barely scratched the surface in America, but you've seemingly played all over Europe. Yeah, America is a a very big place, (laughs) and it's very difficult to to start touring here. Is that a strategy that you've employed? Did you figure, like, America's going to be a tougher nut to crack for me? First of all, it's very far uh, and expensive, (laughs) and it's very big, so you don't know where to start from, uh, probably. Um, In Europe, I I used to live in London, and uh, from London I was trying to understand which which markets are working um, better for my music. Now, after five, six, six or seven years, oh, come on, shit, <laughs> sorry, uh, seven, six years of doing that, last year we, we got booked to play at South by Southwest. We tried to see if we can have one more show in New York, probably, so we had another show at the Rockwood um, Music Club. I played there myself. All right. Nice little venue. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. nice. It was nice. So we did, like, the five shows that we that usually somebody does at South by Southwest, the official one and four side events. Right. And uh, then we played in New York. And uh, now this year, since we got invited to play at South by Southwest again, and uh, I already had um, a U.S. Uh, agent, we talked and we said, okay let's do set up a small tour around south by southwest how did that develop for you as far as building a team of people to help you is it something that people came to you because they were impressed by your first album and the music that you've released previously to this album you know i i I don't think that things are are happening um, because of coincidence or luck However, I believe that you have to do all the right things and then you will make it because something will happen that you 
didn't expect to happen. But you have to do all the right things for your luck to work. Um, and I, I really believe in that. I mean, I have my own label uh, in uh, Greece. Uh, yes. I, I run this, it's called United We Fly, and we try to uh, export the Greek music in general. And uh, with the team from United We Fly, we were always uh, trying to contact different people around the world, trying to understand if they're going to have any interest in my music and uh, to what I do. So um, then you meet somebody that this guy can introduce you to somebody else. And we, we uh, toured a lot in showcase festivals. Actually, we've done all of them in Europe, probably. We've done uh, Ripperman in Hamburg and Eurosonic in the Netherlands. And um, of course, in the United States, we did South by Southwest, which are places that um, uh, people that they are trying to create some audience for themselves. They have to, um, first of all, convince the key people that uh, what you do is, uh, is good enough so they can bring you to the audience. And South by Southwest and all these festivals are these places that you can meet everybody and um, yeah. all people from the market are there. It's, a, it's like a war zone uh, <laughs> because everybody's trying to uh, drag everybody to your show and um, then people are not coming and you end up playing uh, in an empty place or to probably 10 uh, people from the industry um, with the crossed hands uh, just looking at you for five minutes and then running to a different show. So you never know if what you do is good. One thing leads to the other, but you need to do all the right things. Unfortunately, these days uh, you need to work um, uh, a day job as well um, as um, uh, playing your music. What's your day job? Being on the laptop and sending uh, tons of emails to uh, <laughs> come on, please book me uh, or be my agent because I want to play more shows. Well, that's, uh, in America, we don't call that a day job. That's part of your job of being an independent musician. I mean, it, it, is, it is, but uh, I'm not very familiar of, of how the perception is here in the uh, U.S. But um, in Europe or Greece, uh, there is this um, naive thought that uh, an artist just uh, sits uh, with a beer like we're doing now and yeah. uh, <laughs> a piece of paper and um, uh, smoking and then oh an idea is coming and then you write the idea down on your paper and um, uh, somebody passes and watches you writing down and say what are you doing? Oh, that's great! Uh, you are the next, uh, like uh, Bukowski or something. So uh, I want to um, release your book, and uh, yeah. because you're great. This is not true. This never happens. No, it's not true. I mean, it was maybe true back in the '90s, but you're talking to a guy who started his own record label in 2005 for the same reason you probably started yours, yeah. because it's very challenging even back then, and certainly even more so now. And kind of music has been devalued in a lot of ways. It is a full-time business now if you're an artist. It's not just about sitting behind the piano or sitting exactly. with the guitar strapped to your back. You have to do the due diligence, send the emails, show your face, update your website, keep up on social networking. Absolutely. It's all part of the game at this point. It's not exactly what an artist should do. An artist should have time to concentrate and focus on uh, his art. It makes you appreciate more bands that they can um, uh, make a breakthrough these days because you understand what phases they have done. I mean, they, they manage not only to create new music that is good for the audience and the art is there, but also to manage to handle all these things and um, make it happen. It's kind of a cliche in America to take your music overseas and maybe it's better well received in Europe or Japan because here in America like the market is oversaturated. As someone who's come to America and played all over Europe and played in Greece, what is that like for you? Do you feel like you're better received here? The market in Europe is, is saturated. 
Uh, it is. It is. So it's the same in, in Europe. It's the same. We we have the same feeling, and um, probably I have the feeling that in United States uh, the people are more open. Um, industry people, not the audience. The, the audience is probably it's not the same everywhere, but um, if you find good quality audience that they care about uh, people being on stage, then it's um, they have different characteristics, but they are all, all very nice to play for. For the industry people, probably I, I like more people from the United States because they are more straightforward. Um, we tell it like it is. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you, you say, okay, that's my music. Do you like it? No. Perfect. I, I really like to. You uh, like to, that brutal honesty. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's perfect. <laughs> because people, that, people in Europe and mostly in um, the UK, they listen to what you do and they say, oh, that's great, um, amazing sound. I really like it. Um, I don't have capacity right now, but probably if you can wait for a month, maybe I will have. And then you wait for a month and nothing happens, so they actually waste your time. Because when somebody says to a musician, which is pretty much like a little kid, probably this agent will, is going to book shows for you. It's like a promising Christmas to a, to a little kid. It's not maybe. If he says maybe, it's yes. And you get overexcited and you expect for it to happen, even though he said maybe. And then the maybe is uh, not even a no. It's uh, a, a not coming back uh, to this conversation, and you cannot send another mail. <laughs> and uh, this wastes waste, waste uh, the time, and uh, I have wasted a lot of time waiting for people's responses that they say yes, let me check something, and I'm coming back. But this happens. This is this is um, life. This is reality. It's mm -hmm. fun. Um, no problem with that. I think I sound like uh, being on a on a conference or a, like a music school trying to say how the life, the real life of a musician is. No, I know. Um, but, but, but this That's why is, I don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. This is, this is what it is. And it's a problem because most musicians, until they manage to earn their living from music, they have to do another job. So they have to find time for working in a cafe, probably, or an office, and at the same time, find the time to do all the office work for their music, and at the same time, be inspired and go on tour. This is impossible. Again, you're talking to me right here. Yeah. This is, I mean, I've always had a day job in the radio industry, even though I've kind of flirted with the idea when I started my label, when I was in other bands, touring, doing all that's necessary yeah. to... I don't want to say survive, but to thrive, because you can survive, but I've never wanted to be the guy that lives hand to mouth, that kind of struggles for my art. My parents are middle class people from New York, and it was always go to college, get health insurance, you know, have money in the yeah. bank. And those are all the kind of ideals that don't necessarily vibe with the musician lifestyle. That's the biggest problem we have in Greece at the moment. If you are young, you cannot ask for security and um, being safe and uh, comfortable. This, this is the worst thing that can happen to a young person. Uh, people should take risks. People should uh, fight for what they believe in or what they love, even if it's the uh, most ridiculous idea. This is how the world is going forwards. Uh, so if you tell an artist, be safe and um, find a day job to, and, and then um, uh, probably rent a house and uh, then you can get a mor uh, mortgage, is that the word? That's what yeah. it is, yeah. I had one of those and, once upon a time. Yeah, and you, you, you get that to get uh, to buy a house, you buy the house, you get married. All right, this is okay. But if you are dreaming of something that is not that, you should fight and probably fall in the battle of uh, trying to achieve what you are dreaming of. Sounds like Theodore's calling me out <laughs> for playing no. it safe. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I, I'm not sure about what I I'm saying I, I, because I'm... Uh, 
I'm a very high risk person. I take a lot of risk. I'm not sure if it's the right thing to do. <laughs> if you are dreaming of something, fight for that. For me, it's always been like, is it worth the risk? And I've always said no. As much as I love music and I love playing it. You know, from when I was very, very young, when I was going on my piano and started playing, there were moments that I had, if the time was right and my feeling was right and my head was right, there were some moments that the feeling that I had playing music was almost orgasmic. Um, it was, it's pretty much a sexual thing probably for me. It's, 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 um, it's an addiction. If you experience multiplying this feeling by the number of people that they are watching you play, watching you having this orgasmic um, moment, this feeling is multiplied by the number of, of these people. So what I'm trying to, to say is that... Multiple orgasms. Yes, you know, it's bigger, it's, it's larger. So I remember when I played for the first time in front of five friends with my school band, this exact feeling that I had when I was playing by myself was multiplied by five. When I played in front of a hundred, it was multiplied by a hundred. When I played in front of a thousand, it was multiplied by a thousand. So it makes you feel that, oh, I think that, okay, how does this feel with 20,000 people? I want to, to feel again and again this feeling that I have when I'm on stage. And I have realized that when I'm sharing this feeling with more people, this is even better. And this makes me like a musical addict. Your English is wonderful. I can't speak Greek for sh. When did you learn English? How did in, you learn in, English? In Greece, we learn English from a very, very young age. Probably before we go to primary school, you start learning English. Oh, really? As a second language, yes. All right. Uh, after the age of 10, 12, you start learning either German or French. Uh, this is a very standard thing in Greece. However, the English that um, we've been taught in Greece is not the English that you would use um, when uh, you speak to a friend or making an interview. Probably if you want to uh, have a beer with Shakespeare, it will be more, more appropriate. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Um, of course, English is a, is a language that I'm able to communicate with most people in the world. And also it's a language of uh, pop music, so it's, uh, it helps. And also it sounds like everything I love. People are more real when they perceive something in their mother language. For example, you will, know, you will never say I love you or I hate you uh, if you really believe it in a foreign language. I would never say I love you or, or even swear in the English language. Because I, I you said shit before at the beginning of this podcast. So. Uh, it's, <laughs> I didn't feel it so much. He if said I, it, but he didn't feel uh, it. Yeah, it was... Uh, I don't remember. If, I don't even remember why. So it wasn't so surreal. So but if you are very angry, you're going to or, or or scared, you're going to use your own language probably. So you are. You cannot be more honest than you can be with your mother language. This, this is my point. As a descendant of Italian immigrants, yeah. I, I understand exactly what you're saying. But what I like about writing my lyrics in English is that when I write it and I try to be very very careful and very very honest on, in what I write, then when I read it back it feels safer because it doesn't feel so intense as if I would read back what I was expressing in my mother language. You have a classical background. Yeah. Do you have a recollection of your first exposure to American music and did it influence you in any way? When I was 12 years old, Ray Manzarek and Robbie Krieger, the Doors the of doors. the 21st century, they were called, but the Doors, they came to Athens and played the show. My mother bought a ticket and um, took me there. 
It was a revelation. It was amazing for me. It was uh, probably uh, one of the most intense experiences I've, I've ever had. Even though Jim Morrison obviously wasn't there. I'm 27 years old, so when I was 12, it was 2004 probably. And uh, that was an amazing experience. And then I started listening to The Doors, so that was my first, the first real time that I got obsessed to an American band. Cool. And as a keyboardist, Manzarek's got to be somebody yeah. to look up to in a lot of ways. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Your music's been compared to Pink Floyd, Radiohead, Sigaros, even Mozart. Are these fair comparisons? So is, is, is your question if it's fair to compare my music to the music of Mozart? Well, or Tom <laughs> York or that, Jonesy? No, no, no. no. I, I'm not going to, 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 to reply well, on that. Well, it's got to make you feel good. You know, does it inject you with some confidence when you read a review like that? I mean, we all aspire to write the greatest music we possibly can and write no, music that is as good as our idols, but... All of these um, artists that you mentioned are my influences. Their art has made me want to do what I'm doing. Reading back that, uh, oh, this uh, um, probably sounds a little bit like Pink Floyd is uh, probably the biggest honor somebody can do to me. At the same time, I admire this artist so much, and at the same time, I'm not even uh, sure if I feel okay uh, uh, um, saying that my music sounds like them, because I adore Radiohead or Sigros and The Doors and Pink Floyd, and I'm not I'm not talking about Mozart, this, this is funny. <laughs> uh, I cannot say anything about What can I say? But you understand what I'm trying to say. Of course, but yeah. I'm, it's intimidating in a yeah. way. Yeah. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm studying these artists. I, uh, not only listening and enjoying, I'm also studying. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to uh, find myself um, to anything that I, I, listen, I listen to. And uh, then I try to make my own music. And uh, if this can be as good as uh, one, one in a hundred, as good as um, Pink Floyd were, uh, I'm, I'm happy. One one hundredth of Pink Floyd. What is that in, in comparison to Mozart? One, no, one millionth? We cannot have this conversation. We don't even need to, to express, to, to say, to, to, to talk about the value of Mozart. Fair enough. Not, not even Pink Floyd. Or everybody that is now classical, you cannot discuss about their value. You can like them or not, but we don't care. Uh, Mozart is Mozart. I yeah. saw you scored like a Buster Keaton movie. Oh yes, that was uh, probably one of the best experiences in my life. Uh, the Greek Film Institute uh, commissioned me to do um, a new score for Buster Keaton's The Cameraman and play it live uh, at the Temple of Zeus in Athens. Have you been in Athens? You said Never no. been to Greece. So the ancient city of Athens wa was the Temple of Zeus. This is where Vangelis, you know Vangelis? Yeah, Chariots uh, of Fire. Yes, he, he played there. Uh, for NASA, <laughs> he, he did this, this concert at this place. Very cool. So uh, I was commissioned to, to write a score of Buster Keaton, who is a monster, and play at the Temple of Zeus, which is, uh, I don't have any words to describe the feeling in it being in that place. It sounds amazing. And play in, by name. In, in one, yes. <laughs> and, and, and play somewhere that the only artist that played there before was Evangelis Papathanasiou. Wow. So that was a big, one of the biggest honors in my life. That's awesome. And I had 10 days to do it. Oh because they had the idea at the last moment. They say, oh, yes, uh, hi, Theodore, we want you to make a new score of Buster Keaton's The Cameraman. Say, yes, I love Buster Keaton, let's do it. When do you want that? Yeah, uh, the concert is going to be on uh, <laughs> next Monday. They say, 
Okay. <laughs> so you're talking about 70 minutes of music, I would imagine, or thereabouts. Yeah, it was uh, an, hour, an hour and 15 minutes. That you yeah. had to compose in 10 days, did you the problem wasn't, have a nervous uh, breakdown the, the, at some the, point? The problem, the problem was not to, to compose the music, the problem was to play it live. What we did is that we put uh, with my band the film uh, with the time code uh, on a large screen in my studio and uh, we started jamming on, on, on it. I had some ideas. We were keeping notes with diagrams and uh, uh, small drawings of uh, how this sounds. Kind of like bit, storyboarding yeah, it out. Yeah, in, yeah. in what point uh, in the film. Uh, and then we had this course, uh, the graphics course, in front of us and uh, played the same thing 10 days after we started it. So it was, was a very challenging thing in 10 days. And, yeah. and the Greek gods smiling down upon you while you did. Yeah, probably. You describe Inner Dynamics as a concept album. Mm. You talk about songs from that album being influenced by a period in your life where you felt lost. I explained earlier how I feel about doing music and how it makes me feel. And after that also you can understand that I have given everything I have to do this, invested everything I have in, uh, in my soul and time and money and uh, my family has sacrificed stuff, my girlfriend also. So imagine if you have done that for several years and you have based your whole life in the fact that you can write music and then spent two years without being able to do that. <laughs> That's what I mean when I say I was lost. I was trying for two years to write music and I couldn't do it. No way. Looking back now, do you recognize why you couldn't do it? Was there... I, and, and this is exactly my album. I, I realized when I found out, first of all, that if I wanted to have an album in 2018 or 19, I had uh, 43 days last year to do that uh, because I calculated all the free time I have when I'm not playing concerts outside Greece. Away from the work yeah. that you had to do. So right. I had only 43 working days. Well, you did the soundtrack to the Buster Keaton movie in 10 days, so that should have been yeah, a that's lifetime. That's better, that's better, because you watch a film, you get that's inspired right. from right. something. you had kind of like a template yeah. to work off of, yeah. whereas with this, it's that first brush stroke and then exactly. you know, making the painting exactly. from there. So, so in the Buster Keaton film, I have to serve the film, the place that I'm going to play, but in the album, I have to serve myself, so I have to know what, what I want to do. <laughs> so I didn't know what I wanted to do. But when we realized that we have 43 days, we went to a studio, a residential studio in Hamburg. We locked ourselves there for 10 days in the beginning. I convinced my band that I have music. Uh, I, had a ha I had half a song when I went there. But on the plane, I was trying to make my disadvantage turn it to my advantage. So I was. I said, okay, let's get inspired from the fact that I cannot do music. How does this make me feel? And uh, let's analyze why. So this whole album is this attempt to try to analyze how the, this creating process works for me and for what society thinks that uh, what creating process is. When I, I decided to work on that, we didn't have a moment that it was uh, silent in the studio. We kept on doing songs again and again and again, different ones. We did in the first 10 days the whole pre-composition and pre-production of uh, the album. Um, we went to do some shows, we went back to Greece, rehearsed for 10 days. We went back to Hamburg another 10 days to record, to do the, the whole tracking of the album. Then, two days in Santorini, in Greece, a great island, to uh, record the vocals one day in Qatar to record the Philharmonic Orchestra of Qatar in Doha, three days of mixing. And that was the album. 
it's very difficult to recreate the density that you hear on the album, but in your live performances, at least from what I've seen on the web, you do that, and I've been very impressed by that. How do you pull that off? We work on a record in a very live way. Most of the songs, drums, bass, and piano, they are recorded at the same time. And this is because with my piano, this probably comes from my classical influences. I don't want to have a click. Uh, metronome, I want to be uh, like water. Yeah, I want, I want to float. And this, you cannot do it with a click. So I have to play with the drummer at the same time. I am a very lucky guy. My drummer is an amazing drummer. Uh, he can do everything one take. So he basically plays again and again and again till I make it right. <laughs> uh, but most of the songs are, are recorded like that. Most of the songs that they have piano are recorded like that. Who sat you at the piano? Your parents? Yeah. But they did that when I was three years old. Oh, so and you're young. Yeah. But I felt a great relief when they uh, let me stop piano lessons at the age of eight. I felt great. Yeah, no, I have I, the same I, no, story. T- 12, uh, the age of 12, yes. I went from five yeah. to 12, and by 12 I was burned out yeah. and didn't want to do it anymore. What is it about that? Was there a reason that you wanted to stop? I was playing piano for eight hours per day, but I was That's studying for the hours. lesson for, for, for <laughs> ten minutes before the les- every, every lesson. Eight hours a day? I was uh, always on the piano playing. a slave playing. to the piano. I almost. liked it. I, uh, I was drumming, improvising, making noise, yeah. trying to understand how it works, but I didn't care about studying. Then, when I was 16 years old, I found, without even telling my parents, I found a teacher, went there and started my lessons again. Uh, because I, I felt that I really needed to do that. In a way, you're a band leader, and you have to kind of speak the language that your supporting band speaks. Do you chart out your music, or is it you just say, this goes to G now? How do you communicate that to a backing band? It's magic. Magic? Yes. It's a magical communication way. Uh, my band, they know me, I know them, we know how to talk. I don't write charts to them. I explain what I want and uh, then uh, I play and they play exactly uh, what I want to hear. That sounds like magic to me. Uh, I told you it's magic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Willie's Bar with Theodore. It's Theodore, do you have a last name? Why do you go with Theodore? Polychronopoulos. Oh, so that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Say something else in Greek before we go. Τι να πω, η ζωή είναι ωραία, η μουσική είναι ακόμα πιο ωραία και τα πάμε ωραία και θα πάω τώρα στο live για να παίξουμε, να κάνουμε το check. You heard it here first. I don't know what the hell it was, but it sounded pretty Greek to me. Theodore, thanks so much. Thank you. Good luck tonight and good luck in your future ventures. I look forward to hearing Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, man. Is this who you are?
Disorientation, both from Theodore's album Inner Dynamics. Pick it up, find out more, follow him and buy his shit. Theodore-music.com. Don't forget the dash. I want to give some big love to Theodore Valakopufro. How do you pronounce it? Polychronopoulos. Cody McKinney and the fine folks at Marauder Group and Nadia with Theodore's management team for setting up the interview. And thank you, loyal listener, or Theodore fan, or Theodore's grandmother. However you listen, wherever you listen, whenever you listen, thank you for taking the journey with me. Leave a kind review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Follow on your phone thingy at Bald Freak Music. And find out more about the podcast and my indie music shenanigans at baldfreak.com. Next time on Independent Minded, Ken Andrews of Los Angeles alternative rock band Failure talks about frogs, grunge, and where the hell he went for 17 years. Let me out of here. Get me the hell out of here. 
What's the matter with you people? I was joking. Don't you know a joke when you hear one? <laughs> Jesus Christ, get me out of here. Mm.